I've been reviewing the uh, little bit of history of a guy named Pitzenbarger. He was an Air Force pararescue jumper in Vietnam conflict and uh, went down from the helicopter because their medic on the ground, army medic of um, that, that group, had been wounded already and evacuated up to the helicopter. He recognized the medic, and so he uh, goes down himself, and he stays down. You may have read some of this. Maybe you saw a film, uh, The Last Full Measure, something of that nature. He's uh, The film itself is about how he would get the Medal of Honor award, which had been delayed because of different reasons. But he's commended for his service, commended for doing his duty. The word commendation is used several times in Hebrews chapter 11. And it becomes a a way for us to enter in and engage what it is to be commended by God. A far even greater reward than commendation itself. We're working through Hebrews, and we're up to chapter 11. Hebrews is really about looking to Jesus, as we see by the title. And it, it, it comes to us from two different verses. In Hebrews chapter 3 and verse 1, fix your thoughts on Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession. Fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith, Hebrews 12. So based on this, we need to set our vision higher, our vision above on things that are where Christ dwells. Now, as we, as we begun this, it's, it's really one large sermon, Hebrews. And it begins with Jesus is greater. He's better. He's better than all sorts of things. He's better than anything. He's better than the prophets, better than the angels, better than Moses, better than Joshua. He's better than Aaron. He's better than the priestly order of Aaron. He's better because he has a new covenant. He has a new sanctuary and a better sacrifice within that better sanctuary. He's better. That's brought us all the way up to now this chapter, chapter 11. Commended. Commended by God. Hebrews is tagged as the, the faith chapter. Uh, in these 40 verses, as, as Dave read them for us, we spanned from Genesis through the Chronicles. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, Ruth, 1st, 2nd Samuel, 1st, 2nd Kings, 1st, 2nd Chronicles. The whole history of God's Old Testament people was encapsulated in these 40 verses. You wonder why preachers can't do the whole Bible and 40 minutes. So here it is. The, he, the point that he's making, this is an illustration. Now we could spend years, and we've done 20 thus far since I've been here, exploring those Old Testament narratives, the Old Testament characters, the life they lived, the struggles they faced. This is the faith chapter, or the hall of faith, as some would say. The people of God are to live by faith. This is how chapter 10 rounded out. Chapter 10, verses 38 to 39. My righteous one shall live by faith. We are those, verse 39 goes on to say, who have faith and preserve their souls. We are the faithful ones. We, we who are in Christ, who know that He is better than anything else. We are the faithful. 
These examples now in chapter 11 are the way that, that the preacher in Hebrews is going to do what he told us to do. He told us to spur one another on to love and good works. He said we're supposed to assemble together and as we do it, we're supposed to spur one another on, prod one another on to love and good works. And so now, in chapter 11, he's going to do that for us. This content of chapter 11 is the kind of thing, the kind of stuff that is to fill our thoughts, our conversations, when we assemble together. These stories. This is where we will be bolstered for the trials that are to come. Indeed, the church has suffered. He alludes to that. You've suffered. Some of you have lost your property. You've even visited those who are in prison because of the name of Jesus Christ. And then he ends chapter 11 reminding them that this is nothing new. Even the people of the Old Testament suffered immensely. So don't be shocked. Don't be surprised. He's encouraging us to keep on keeping on. The themes from chapter 10 repeat throughout chapter 11. If we had time, we could set up two parallel columns and go back and forth and identifying those themes that go back and forth. Through these testimonies, our morale is boosted, our resolve is stiffened, our courage is bolstered, and our witness is emboldened. Now, I want to work through the chapter not narratively, uh, as is read. But I want to work through it observationally. Because, again, these are illustrations of faith. And he's just really, in a sense, speaking extemporaneously at this point. And he realizes time is going by, and so he begins to go quicker at the end. Oh, yeah, and then there's the kings and the prophets. The patriarchs, and he goes on and on with the patriarchs and through Moses. And actually, interesting, he doesn't even name Joshua. But he spends time with Abraham, spends time with Moses, and then, but he mentions Sarah and he mentions Rahab. Fascinating. Great testimonies of faith. Well, the first word we're going to use to hang our thoughts on here is, is redundant from the title, but it's commendation. Commendation. In uh, verse 2, for by faith the people of old received their commendation. Verse 39 repeats this, this uh, idea again. All these, though commended through their faith, didn't receive what was promised. We may editorially add, yet. Commendation. That is what we're striving for, the commendation of God. And what is their commendation? Well, it comes through faith. That's the, that's the means by which they are commended. But for what and with what are they commended? And, well, the answer would be righteousness. Chapter 11, verse 4. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous. By com- God commending him by accepting his gifts. Con- commended as righteous. And again, Noah. 
verse 7. Same reality. By faith, Noah, and he's warned and with reverent fear, constructed an ark to save his household. And by this, he condemned the world, but became an heir of righteousness that comes by faith. Righteousness. Rightness before God. To be able to stand right in a, a just relationship with Him. This is to be our con- commendation as well. The righteousness of Christ. And this isn't just for those of the Old Testament. It is for those of us of the New Testament as well. For we become children of Abraham by faith. He's the father of faith. And so we enter into this same walk of faith. This, this is the commendation. It's actually the word witness based upon the word martyr for which we are commended. Well, the definition. Verse 1. It's a lovely definition. It, it's really helpful, isn't it? It is... But it's certainly not as extended as perhaps we would like in our theological dictionary. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Faith is now defined and delineated throughout the rest of the chapters, explained and exemplified. By faith happens in this chapter 19 times. There's 21 times in Hebrews itself. 19 of them right here compacted together, at least as we see it in English. It's by faith. In the New Testament language, it's actually one word, piste. They have an economy of words sometimes, unless it's Paul. By faith. This is the point that the preacher brings. And there's this definition in verse 1, and then there's summaries spread throughout. Verse 6 is a kind of summary in the midst of the narrative. Without faith, it's impossible to please Him, for whoever would draw near to God must believe that He exists and that He rewards those who seek Him. Then verses 13 to 16 form another little uh, interlude and a summary. All these died in faith, it goes on to say. And then toward the end as well, verses 39 and 40. All these, though commended through their faith, didn't receive what was promised. Summaries. There's a sense in which you could go right from the end of chapter 10 and read into chapter 12 and you wouldn't miss a whole lot because this is illustrative. This is an illustration, an example of faith, except that we would lose a lot, wouldn't we? Well, what is faith? Well, what's what's it not? It's not... It's not the leap of faith. It's a substance and evidence of things not seen, but it's not blind. It's not blind. Substance, evidence. It's not, it's not that leap of faith into nowhere, devoid of evidence, credulous. It, it's not a, a strong internal feeling. Like, you just got to believe. And, and it's not a wish upon a star kind of thing. It's not a positive mental attitude. It's not bad to have a positive mental attitude, but that's not faith. But faith, not those things, is neither duped nor distracted by what it sees. So, uh, 
um, faith is the assurance of things hoped for. The substance, one translation says, the reality, another says, of things hoped for. Reality. And we've been talking about this throughout Hebrews, haven't we? What is re- where is reality? Where Christ is. That's reality. That's where glory is. Even what we see here now in these moments is shadow of life. It's the assurance, the substance, the reality of things hoped for. We can go to other parallel passages in the New Testament to help us again reiterate this. Romans 8, verses 24 and 25. Hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Makes sense. Second Corinthians 4, verse 18. We look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, passing. The things that are unseen are eternal. In 2 Corinthians 5, verse 7, we walk by faith, not by sight. It's conviction. The conviction of things not seen. Evidence. Proof. An exposure. An exposition. Now, throughout this chapter, this idea of not seeing is, is all over the place. Here it's in verse 1, of course. Verse 3, who had seen, God made the seen and the unseen, what's visible and invisible. Verse 7, they look forward to events yet unseen. Verse 10, they're looking forward. And this, this idea happens a lot in the chapter. We're looking forward to what was promised. Forward to what is yet coming. In fact, we can look forward enough with enough advantage and enough confidence and enough assurance that we'll bless the next generation knowing that God will keep His promise to the next generation and the next generation. So we bless, we give benediction upon the next generation. We see it from afar. Not this city, but a city built in heaven. And so we have this idea of seeing and not seeing. And we too have this reality. First Peter says, though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not see him now, you believe in him and rejoice with a joy inexpressible and filled with glory. So if the eye is not the instrument of faith or the organ of faith, what is? It's the heart and the ears. This is how we receive faith and this is how faith is perceived. Romans 10, verses 9 and 10. If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord, and what? Believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you'll be saved. For with the heart, one believes and is justified. Now, in English, we have two different words for the noun and the verb. Faith is a noun. Believe is the verb. We also have the noun belief to add confusion to the English language. But it's the same New Testament word, pistis, pisteo, piste, to believe. We believe with our heart, not with our eyes. 
He'll go on in the same chapter, Paul, Romans chapter 10, verse 17 says, So faith comes from hearing, and hearing through the Word of Christ. Faith starts with God, His Word, and His work. Craftsmen will often identify how deceptive the eye might be. Once in a while I get to work in a, a shop occasionally and, and I learn some new things and um, working on flat surfaces and wood that's to be f- f- level, smooth. And if you're looking at it, you say, yeah, that look, that's, that's smooth, looks smooth. Close your eyes. Close your eyes and then run over the surface and, and amazingly, you perceive the imperfections, the lack of smoothness that's there, the unlevel surface that's there. Close your eyes. Perhaps the same you might say with, with the sound. Uh, the, the older I get uh, in conversations, I realize I'm, I'm turning my head a certain direction, thinking that I'll be able to hear better. I remember, remember as kids, you play Marco Polo in the, in the pool. You close your eyes and and people would yell, Marco, Polo, and and from their voice, you're supposed to reach out and tag them, right? Now, it becomes a challenge when you have multiple people yelling at you. But when you really want to hear that still, small voice, you close your eyes to listen. These are the instruments of faith. And we're not going to be duped by what we see. For the eyes are deceptive. They have been from the beginning, haven't they? To look upon the fruit and it's desirable. And we take. So, what is it? Well, there's a classic theological definition of saving faith. And there's debate sometimes over to whether it's precise or accurate enough. I believe that it is. And I think we'll find evidence here. There's a wonderful Latin way to say it. Uh, noticia, ascensus, and fiducia. Information, affirmation, devotion. Information. Faith knows things. Faith has this content. It has this knowledge base. It has these elements of truth. Verse 3. By faith we understand the universe was created by the Word of God. We go to Romans chapters 1, 2, and so forth. And we find that the creation itself, made by God's Word, reveals God's invisible attributes. Uh, Verse 7. The warnings of God. Noah was warned by God. This oral pronunciation. And then verses 9 and 11, 33 and verse 40, the promises of God. 9, 11, 33 and 40, the promises of God. The Word of God, the warnings of God, the promises of God. What is the source of faith? The content of our faith is the Word of God. The Scriptures. 
Indeed, John's Gospel says this very same thing. The reason he wrote the Gospel of John, testifying of the person and work of Jesus Christ, John chapter 20 and verse 31, he says, These are written that you would believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you would have life in His name. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the Word of Christ. And so we root our faith indeed in this information age, don't we? Now there are several affirmations of content and truth made throughout the chapter. We'll, we'll do that for another time. But God is the Creator and God is the Redeemer through the Eternal Son, Jesus Christ. He's our great High Priest and our Mediator. And God raises the dead. That's been mentioned twice in this hall of faith. So that's the information. The Word of God, which reveals the living Word of God, Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, the Eternal Son. Now, it's one thing to have received the information, but do you actually agree that the information is accurate, true, real? Or is it like most of our stuff out on media culture today? You, you have to verify, re-verify, re-re-verify. You can't just accept it because it's there. Anybody can hit enter and put it out there. Do you agree? Do you, do you agree that the truth is true? Well, a saving faith not only knows things, doesn't only have information, but it agrees that it's accurate, that it's true. Now, we can have all a number of truth statements, belief statements. Do you believe in God? Yes. Do you believe in Jesus? Sure. But what does that mean? You, you, you know about Him historically, maybe even experientially. You, you believe there must be some greater power in this world. Some all-wise overseer to put all this together, at least. But to that extent, you know this classic answer. Even the demons have that kind of belief. James chapter 2, verse 19. And I realize that this passage of James is, is in the midst of an argument, a debate. But James says, you believe that God is one. You do well. But even the demons believe and shudder. They have the information, and they even agree that the information is true, accurate, and real. And that's not the only passage. Uh, in Matthew chapter 8, verse 29, the demoniac uh, cries out this plurality uh, of demons within this boy. What have you to do with us, O Son of God? Have you come to torment us before the time? They've got even more information than we do. They know that their doom is sure. They know that the time is short. And they know that, the, that Christ will indeed judge them. They know that Christ is the Son of God. They believe, they know the information, and they agree that it's true. Satan himself, twice, says Jesus is God. 
in the temptations. It's a little elusive in our English, I suppose. But in Matthew chapter 4 and verse 3, our English translation says, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. Chapter 4, verse 6 of Matthew's Gospel. If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written. Now, the grammatical construction of this if with the indicative means since. The devil is in a sense saying, since you are the Son of God, do this. Since you are the Son of God, do this. What a way to tempt to take the truth, the reality, and use it on you. Say, oh, yeah, I am the Son of God. Huh. No, just having the information and even agreeing with the information is not this kind of Hebrews 11 faith. There is a devotion. There's a fidelity, a trust, a confidence, a reliance, a pledge. We're going to depend upon this truth. It is an assurance. It is a conviction. That's our definition. The assurance of things hoped for. The conviction of things not seen. This is what makes faith, belief, effectual unto salvation. And it produces a way of life. The life doesn't make the faith. But the faith makes the life. And this chapter illustrates what that faith life looks like. It offers acceptable sacrifices. Verse 4. It brings pleasure to God. Verse 5. A life of faith is one of reverent fear. Verse 7. It's an obedient life. Verse 8. It looks forward in hope. Verses 8 and 10, 13 through 16, and 39. This faith is tested. Verse 17. This faith believes in that future and invokes blessing on the next generation. Christianity is intergenerational, multi-generational. Verses 20 to 21. It awaits the resurrection, verse 22. It's courageous, verses 23 and 27. It chooses mistreatment and reproach for the name of Christ, verses 25 and 26. Those same verses show us that this way of life does not enjoy the pleasures of this world. Not above Christ. Rather, it desires the reward of God. His commendation of righteousness. This life of faith endures, verse 27. This life of faith is hospitable to the children of God. This is not an independent solo experience. It's a community walking together. Hospitable to the children of God, verse 31. It conquers kingdoms and is mighty in war. 
verses 33 to 34. But the weapons of our warfare are not flesh and blood. They are of spirit. Ephesians 6. This life will suffer persecution for the name of the Lord. Again, verses 36 to 38. And this life of faith walks worthy of God. That's what faith looks like as you live it, as you walk out this new life in Christ. You've heard about God. Maybe you've read about God in in His Word. You agree. Yeah, the Bible is God's revelation to us. His complete revelation to us and the perfect revelation of His Son to us. It's great. But have you been devoted to these truths? Devoted to... The way of life, as we've seen exemplified here. Has, has, your, has your life been made new? Have you been born again into this life of faith? Or have you just been hanging around in the assembly? Garrison Keeler uh, I think is the one originating this. Maybe not, but it's where I first heard it on his radio show, Lake Wobegon. And he's t- speaking of the, the good old Minnesotans and the Scandahoovians that are there. Yeah. Well, thinking you become a Christian by sitting in the sanctuary is like thinking you become a car by sitting in the garage. Why are you here? Do you think that this will make you a better person? Make you have faith? No. You are here to hear about the faith. We're here to prod and spur one another on to love and good works. And it looks like chapter 11. But you must be made alive by the Spirit of God. To have this kind of belief, this kind of faith that is devoted to Him, puts everything else aside and honors Him, worships Him, worships Him, exalts Him above all. Have you been there? Are you going to walk away from here still unsure? Still without that confidence? Well, faith is the assurance and the confidence of what we hope for in Christ. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And you'll enter into this marvelous life of faith in Him. God, we do ask that You take these truths, these words, Your words, and You bark us with uh, indeed life. Lord, we've, in an information age, are overwhelmed with all kinds of tidbits and cliché. But here we're confronted with Jesus Christ, our great high priest, the author and perfecter of our faith. So God, by Your Spirit, would we turn to Him afresh. 
Would we recommit and devote our lives unto Him? May we live the life of faith. If we've never been made alive and we've never come to Christ, may this now be the moment. We plead with You, Lord, for the moving of Your Holy Spirit among us. We ask it for Jesus' sake in the scope of Your redeeming and amazing grace. Amen.